Yeah, Valentina Shevchenko got one of the most gangster tattoos I've seen in women's fighting. Oh, the bullet right on her hip? Yeah, the gun. The gun? Yeah, bro. <laughs> She's badass, bro. Oh, they officially got rid of, just so you know, they got rid of calling it Fight Night. So now it doesn't say Fight Night number plus this plus this. Now it just says ES- UFC on ESPN Blades vs. Lewis, also known as UFC on ESPN 18 or UFC Vegas 15. So they got rid of one of the names. Instead of oh, thank God. We're only down to 14 names instead of 15. Right, exactly. And we're back here on the Dope Blog. I'm Charles Day. I'm here with my partner in crime, Tim Owens, and we are in the aftermath of UFC 255. And the flyweights were on full display. They were focused this last weekend. We saw Davison Figueredo defeat Alex Perez in 15 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. It was about two minutes. And the women's flyweight match, the championship match, the co-main, Valentina Shevchenko defeating Jennifer Maya. And I'll let, I'll let you start it off because you, you know, what your favorites on the prelim was, yada, yada, yada. Because I think the women's champ, flyweight champ, was really stole the show, was the star of the whole show. But we'll get to that in a second. What was your feeling coming out of 255 and what's up? Hey, what's up? Glad to be back. I mean, yeah, overall, actually really good card put on by UFC this past weekend. I was, I was really excited about it. Um, I really don't have any complaints. I mean, right from the start, six, what was it, six, six thirty when it started, I was already texting you and texting my friends. I'm like, hey, you guys need to hop on this early, early prelim. These fights are starting off with a bang. I mean, we we had a few decisions as the night went on, but I mean, overall, there was a lot of knockouts, uh, submission in in the main card uh, at the very end with Davis and Figueroa. So. I mean, I was excited. I, it was a card that I wasn't expecting to be as good as it was, to to put it simply. Yeah, it was definitely a good card. I had to go back because you're not joking. You were talking about the very first fight on the early prelims, not the preliminary card most people start tuning into, the early ones that are usually on only UFC Fight Pass that were on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus on Saturday. So, yeah, it was around 6, 6.30 when that probably did kick off. It was between uh, Sasha Palatnikov and Lewis Koski, and no hyperbole here. That is a fight of the year contender, and the first round is a round of the year contender. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I was I was with my one buddy, and um, I was freaking out. I'm like, bro, do this is normally the early prelims I just have on the background. I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. I'll watch. I'll if something catches my eye. I was glued. And I mean glued to the TV. I'm like you said, no hyperbole here. That can definitely like uh, Dana agreed, fight of the night at least minimum. So they did get fight of the night being the first opening bout on the card. So that's crazy. But on top of it, no hyperbole, like you said, has the possibility of being fight of the year at least if at least one of the rounds was round of the year because like you said, that first round you I couldn't score it. I was I was just in it the whole time, not even worrying about scoring, not worrying about the judges. I'm like. You know what? This first round, if it goes all three rounds like this, I can't be mad at whatever the judges decide because there's there's no clear victor here. But in, lucky to uh, to Sasha, right? 
Yeah. He ends up winning with a TKO in the third. So he pulls it off where he's like, damn, I got to finish this. And I don't even know if that was what was going through his head. I mean, they're both young fighters, both making their UFC debut. So there was a little bit of, as, as I told you uh, via text, there might be a little bit of where you can tell they're not seasoned inside the cage. They're making a couple of mistakes, except especially with Sasha grabbing the cage and everything. But overall, great fight. I mean, it was, it was, it was stunning. It was so good. I, I, the minute it ended, I was like, that's going to be a fight of the night contender instantly. Yeah. Instantly. And that first round was really ridiculous. It really stood out when you mean by undisciplined fighters, because that undisciplined fighter on both sides led to a banger of a fight. It started off with the guys just throwing hands. The Koski kept trying to take down Politnikov and he was just acting like a video game and just getting up. I don't get how ineffective that takedown was, but he made it look ineffective. And he was just throwing elbows at Koski the whole time. By the third round, both men were spent. To Lewis Koski's credit, the one who lost, he was winning the first round in the sense that he was doing everything a veteran fighter would be doing to put away Politnikov, and Politnikov just wouldn't stay down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, uh, you're right on the nose with that one. It's it's insane how they just kept going back and forth. And and to like you said, to Koski's credit, he was trying to get out of that fight in that third round and, and just bring him to the ground or just get out and, and using the knowledge he has, especially being as spent as, as they were. Um, but it was just amazing. I mean, at one point, I can't even remember what round it was. It seems like each round, every round had this. They were literally standing in the middle trading. Like they were working on heavy bags. Like they were just trading shots to each other's face. I was just like, oh my God, what is going on here? Every round had vicious shots that it couldn't have <laughs> ended with any shot. When I say vicious, I mean, I shouldn't hear a smack sound from a close range elbow. Yes. Yep. Oh, my that God. was the real deal that really happened. So, and that's how the night started. We're literally talking about the very first fight of the 255 event. So, because yeah. Blitnikov won, good for him. He should get some more uh, shine on a future prelim or at least a fight night or something like that. But Joe Quinn Buckley was the second to last, the penultimate main event or of the prelim card, right? And he was the one that you were talking about last episode where he had that insane kicking knockout where he's, his foot got caught and kind of did, did like a went backwards and did a heel kick up. As confusing as it sounds, if you have the ESPN app, you definitely saw this highlight, especially after this weekend, because they were hyping up that highlight all day on Saturday. And he goes in there and wins in the second round, looking good. He's, he, he's one of those middleweight prospects that if he keeps uh, doing this, he's going to be on the main card soon enough, and then probably contending for the middleweight title if he stays winning. Maybe not soon, but towards the end of 2021, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I got to give him props as well because he he was a guy that basically shut me up um, because I was a little upset on how much they were actually hyping him up um, on the card. And the only thing you were seeing was that one knockout, was the spinning, spinning uh, heel kick, I guess you can call it. It was a jumping, spinning heel kick. And they just kept showing that. I'm like, and I'm talking to my buddies. I'm like, look, this is the only thing they're showing. Like, this guy doesn't have this immense highlight reel, uh, blah, blah, blah. Like, one of the comparisons we made just to kind of get off topic. But, and to pretty much show that I had to, he shut me up. Because we were talking about, like, for example, if you see Jorge Masvidal, 
and they're playing his highlights. Yes, everyone knows the knee by Ben Askren. But before that, they show you a plethora of, of submissions, knockouts, ground and pounds, all types of crazy stuff. And then they show you the infamous knee. With Joaquin, he's so young in the game, they only had that under the UFC banner. They really only had that knockout. And I was kind of – I was knocking him for that. I'm like, look, he only has this one – this one thing, it's, he ain't that special, blah, blah, blah. And, well, damn, he proved me wrong with uh, with that win in the second round. It was it was really good. He came out and he kind of got rid of that stigma. Some of the fans, like myself, had were like, oh, he's only got this one knockout. That's all it is. He's not that special. About that, I just looked, so I'm cheating because I forgot what his record was. He's 12-3 and three right now, nine by way of knockout, three by decision. And two of his losses came by way of knockout. One of them – was his UFC debut against Kevin Holland back in August. Who's, who's a monster right now. Yep. Exactly. And the reason you didn't see highlights before then, and I didn't know this because this is how the sport works, that, that was his first UFC fight was against Kevin Holland. It was a, it was a loss. Yes. So then the spinning back kick is the only highlight he really has. Before they that, actually, correct. He LFA, he was in Bellator, he was in Shamrock FC. Right, so he, they don't have probably any of the uh, video rights, obviously. Yeah, you're um, not going to want to show. They're not going to be showing Bellator highlights on two, UFC 255. Right, exactly. So, so to his credit, you know, it's unfair to say that, but you know, it, you're right. It's his only his third fight in the UFC, technically. Um, and so, you have presidential candidate Kanye West retweeting the highlight. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> <laughs> how, how could Kanye not win when he's a man of the people like that? I uh, I don't know sixty thousand votes or something like that. Sixty thousand. <laughs> you ain't got many to sway. I'm pretty sure one song that he drops gets way more views that minute. Yes. Than the votes he gets. And, oh, let's not get started on Kanye West. I know. Yeah, I can't. I, I we can't go in on him. That's my boy. All right. <laughs> He's been Kanye Kardashian since Dark Twisted Fantasy. But anyway. Any, anywho. Your favorite fighter, Shogun Rua, kicked off the main card of UFC 255. And, and by the way, we're skipping over some fights. This is one of those cards where if you love MMA, check out whatever. Look up whatever styles you like, whatever weight class you like, because this really was a solid event from start to finish. Yeah. I don't think it should have been a pay-per-view. I think this would have been better served as a free event because casuals would have been able to watch some of these workhorses and up-and-comers in action for free especially the flyweight champions in a division for the men's at least that gets overlooked simply because of the size. Correct. I agree with you. And you know what? I think because, you know, it, it's hard to say, like it definitely was worth it in my eyes being a hardcore, right? It was worth it in my eyes to pay, but you're right. I think they would have gotten a couple more eyes on the fight itself and on the entire card itself. If it was one of the free uh, events that UFC puts on. Uh, but to have the people they had, it, it wasn't bad for being a paid event. Like, you know, it's a double-edged sword kind of. The, the, the way it got put on, at first I would have argued more for, ah, oh, this shouldn't be a paid event. This doesn't have that many people. I'll pay for Valentina any day, though, to see her fight. Other than that, I'm like, ah. Eh. But after the fight, I go back and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I go back and look and I'm like, ah, oh, this actually was kind of worth it. So it was one of those situations where I hope it did well, kind of side note, I hope it did well for them. Uh, for especially the champions that they got a nice payday from pay-per-view, but we, I don't know if those numbers are out yet. I doubt they are, but you know, it, it was, it was good overall. I mean, 
like you said, we jumped ahead. Valentina, if anyone's been listening or anyone knows, what hands down one of my favorite fighters of all time. She's unstoppable. Well, before you get to Valentina, you need to talk about what happened to your boy Shogun. You ain't, you ain't oh yeah, true. Yeah, that's what we started with. It's a little disappointing. Listen, Shogun, who is. I'm sorry. I like him too. He's one of your favorites. And in the lightweight division, to see, and props to Paul Craig, he defeated uh, Rua in the second round, got on top of him, started pounding his head in. By circumstance, Rua was belly down on the mat, covering his head. Craig is just laying down onto him, and and then Rua just taps. Yeah. Oh, man. It's weird to see this part of his career because it's it's one of those things where prime shogun ain't going out like that correct and it's really difficult to see um and watch as a fan of shogun for such a long time you know he even he even actually tapped from the punches did he not yeah yeah it went down as tko but uh, in parentheses at least on wikipedia here submission to punches the tap and, and this is one of those that shows the nerd in me because when he did that, I yelled, oh, my God, like you would have thought uh, Craig took out a knife and stabbed him in the ribs. Or something. <laughs> right, right. Um, like, I was just shocked at, at the tap. Not that he, well, he, this fight should have been called TKO anyway, by the way he was acting. The tap was just, please let it end. You know what I mean? So. Right, and to come from a vet like that, you know, he, he knew he had no, no other option. So it was really sad. Um, I think in the post-fight press conference, Dana was talking about, he thinks he wants it to be his last fight. I think he said something along those lines. I, I, I can't disagree there. If I want to have the memory of Shogun, I don't, you know, we always talk about it. We don't want the memory of them losing, going on a losing streak. And, and it's not like he uh, has been losing, right? He had, he just bought, he, the previous fight to this was no Guerra, So that doesn't really count. We're talking about vets. You know, if I was telling you no Guerra was fighting, um, Shogun, you would be like, oh, what year is it? 2015? What happened? Oh, what? What is that on the uh, UFC pass? On, like the highlight show? What is that? You know what I mean? Like what? what we right, got? exactly. You're like, wait, what happened? When did this this take place? And then before that, remember the fight with Paul Craig, the first one went to a draw. So then that before that he beat Tyson Pedro, and then before that he destroyed Anthony Smith in 2018. So, or lot not destroyed, lost to Anthony Smith, got destroyed by Anthony Smith. Sorry. So, you know, his career for the past two years has been on and off, and it's just not fun. I mean, two losses now, one draw, and only two wins out of the five past fights in two years. It's a little disheartening. I think, you know, if he can go make his money somewhere else, do it. But with these monsters that are in the UFC, I think it's uh, time for Shogun to kind of hang it up and uh but before we go uh any further up that card actually the one thing i do gotta do gotta mention is brandon moreno and the brandon roy val fight if you didn't catch that that was an amazing fight as well uh brandon moreno at flyweight so remember at the top of the class davis figueredo was the champion at flyweight retained his belt at with a win this past weekend but uh well-known flyweight and Brandon Moreno also fought on this car, fought Brandon Roy Val for basically a number one contender spot. And long story short, Brandon Roy Val goes out by TKO punches and pretty much because his shoulder popped out of place. Yeah. That was, that was was kind of rough. He could, he had his shoulder inside his t-shirt after the fact. Yep. It was was bad. And weird thing. Don't know why they mentioned on the broadcast, but the doctor didn't pop his shoulder back in his goddamn corner did. 
where, why didn't the doctor do that is my question, but you know, okay. Because you're not thinking of that person. They're just like, he's probably just like, just do it, just do it. And the, the corner probably knows how to do it. It's just, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I get, like the doc. No, I'm insane. Like the doctor was looking at him, literally staring at him. It's like, bro, can you pop my shoulder back in please? Like this is, I'm in excruciating pain. Yeah, but, and and yeah, you're right. We, that that is a something important to note. Figueroa is probably going to fight Moreno next. Yeah, oh. not to get too ahead, but it looks like they're trying to do that for next month. Because oh, because um, Piotr, yeah, Piotr Jan. It, it just broke today. Piotr yeah, Jan. that news broke today. Um, I guess I'll let him know. Piotr Jan uh, for UFC 256. Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling is off. As of right now, Piotr Jan dropped out. We are unsure of why. Recording this on on the Monday following 255, and that, that news just broke probably about two hours ago. Yeah, pro- I think officially broke two hours ago. There were some mentions of it um, all Sunday, but it wasn't official, I don't think, until today. Probably Dana had that in mind, and that's why he probably mentioned it on Saturday night after all the fights and said, hey, we're thinking about turning him right uh, – Turvet him being Davison Figueredo, turning him right around to fight Brandon Moreno. And, and it's pretty maybe, even. They both fought on the same night. Exa- and they both fought on the same night. So that would be kind of even, right? Exactly. You're turning as even as you're going to get. Uh, like, Moreno is the one that is, is okay with him because he did go a little bit longer. That's a fair. That's as fair as a fight as you're going to get on short notice if you do want a title fight. Yeah, that's a, really, you're right. That's as fair as it's going to get. The guy you're coming up to fight, the man that's holding the belt, fought the same – Day you did so, like I said, it's, good for flyweights. it's just good for the flyweights. They're finally yeah. getting some shine, especially in a crucial time, uh, you know, for the corporate side of the sport for UFC right. and ESPN. If the flyweights can kind of anchor the money train of the deal in for the you know calendar year 2020, it'll be a good look for the division going forward. Yeah, yeah, 100. And you know what? It adds on to the fact that. Just what a year ago, two year uh, less a year ago, maybe a little bit more. We we're talking about getting rid of the flyweight division. So yeah, when it was T.J. Dillashaw versus uh, and Henry Cejudo. Yeah, so that was supposed to be the end of the flyweights, and now we got this rising star, Davison Figueredo, coming out and just. I mean, no. Now it. we had this tight ass pay per view that was anchored by both flyweight divisions. It, it, it's kind of poetic justice in a way because Figueroa is about to get two paydays when he expected one. Correct. Yep. Exactly. And like I said, dominant, dominant doing so. I, I mean, yeah, he was dominant. That's not, that's, I don't get it twisted. I agree with that part. Yeah, but you knew it was going to be dominant because as I'm watching this event, and someone asks me, "Oh wait, who's so who's the main event?" Because I was talking more about Shevchenko than anything. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's Figueroa and uh, and uh, <laughs> as I've already paid for the event. So, like, that, I kind of gave away to everybody I was watching the fight with who I thought was going to win the main event. Right. I mean, look, look, I texted you. I texted you in real time saying, I hope I don't have to eat my words from last podcast that we had where I couldn't, I didn't even mention Alex Perez, which I'm sorry, Alex. But listen, yeah, again, you did not say his name. I didn't even want to say his name because. Again, if anyone listened and then watched the fights and now listening again, you completely understand why I said that and why I said the way I said it. Figueroa is no one to mess with. And Alex, even though he's a strong fighter, he just he came off the uh, Dana White Contender Series. I don't think he was ready for a championship fight. I don't care where he was sitting out in the rankings. He was not ready. I don't even, 
I don't even remember if he was ranked at the time. I, I don't recall, but no matter what, I don't think he was ready. Oh, yeah, he was. He's ranked at number four. So Oh, and just a little interesting tidbit about this weekend. So Figueroa uh, retains his flyweight title on Saturday night with a guillotine choke in one round. This weekend was also WWE Survivor Series. And there's been better Survivor Series in the past. And to keep it short, it's just their brands fighting each other. So it's a bunch of champion versus champion matches, right? Right. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre was their world champion versus universal champion main event, right? Roman Reigns wins by a guillotine. And I've never seen that big Samoan chief ever use that move before. And I just thought it was kind of funny because somebody backstage, if not Roman himself, obviously watched 255. <laughs> That's pretty dope. Do stuff like that by chance. Like if, if, if it wasn't for that reason, it was because the Undertaker's retiring for the fifth time in four years. So they wanted to do that because Undertaker <laughs> has MMA moves every, every once in a while. But I just yeah. want to let you know, because I know you didn't watch it, that I that there was two guillotine finishes this weekend. In, in hey, and big ups to them, man. Big ups to them. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah, but there's somebody listening right now like, why the fuck is he talking about pro wrestling? Because I, this is my pod, motherfucker. That's why. Hey, listen. Well, <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Listen, pro wrestling is still entertainment, okay? And it falls in. I don't care if people don't want it to fall in. It definitely falls in with MMA because you know what? There's plenty of people. Because Brock Lesnar became your champ too, motherfucker. Listen, <laughs> we can have a conversation about that one day. We don't need to talk about it. Don't I love that the, devil on this You know, I love the fact Brock Lesnar was there. All right. I love the fact that he was heavyweight champ. But I don't need any WWE fans talking shit right now. all right i just don't need it (laughs) any wwe fans and here's a peek behind the curtains guys if a wrestling fan talks shit about mma and this is coming from a wrestling fan who obviously loves mma just say three syllables cm punk and shut them the fuck up (laughs) oh my god we're talking about oh yeah you you would see 255 yeah i'm gonna skip ahead but i want to the the Caitlin Chukagian fight was actually a three round banger. Um, that was nice, good fight. Yeah, yeah. Cynthia uh, Cavillo, Cavalli, Cavillo. I don't know. She she really really was a nasty fight, and and both of those women. But you know, Caitlin definitely had the upper hand for all three rounds. It, it made yeah, that she won by UD. Um, Tim Means versus Mike Perry, a catch weight banger, bloody. It, it, the, the head like one of those heavy fisted fights. And it's kind of, it sounds repetitive, but it really was a good card, guys. Like, a lot of these fights were just stand up and bang, or it was a technical masterpiece. Like, in the co-main with Sevchenko, I was texting you in real time. She was doing two-piece combos with a beautiful takedown. So she'd land a couple punches and then seamlessly take down Maya. And it sounds like it's simple. Like, oh, that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to do. Most people don't land the combo and then get the takedown fluidly. Yeah. No, not the way not the way she was doing it. She looked really special out there. I mean, it was funny to watch, and I know anyone that watched it was kind of in the same boat of – she was so dominant for, for a good amount of time so far, she being Valentina, that when we saw her lose that second round, I, I'm, I'm sure you saw the live the pop-up from Twitter that it said, oh, my God, in, in the betting odds, she just went from negative 2,000 to negative 350. So, like, people were like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God, Valentina's going to lose. I'm like, ah, calm down. It's one round. So I get it, and I get why people get like that. But after that one round, I mean, again, clinic she put on. It was just the way she was 
the way she was just moving her head, the way she stayed real, she, she still looks like a kickboxer out there. She still looks like a Muay Thai fighter out there. And you what's know? funny about that second round thing, by this time of the night, I was a couple of Guinnesses deep and I was feeling nice, enjoying these fights, listening to music. So I didn't have the, 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 you know, the audio that you had. And that was my own choice. I, sometimes I just like listening to music. I've seen so many fights in that atmosphere that it's comfortable to me. I can just focus in on the fight. I wasn't scoring this fight like that because I really didn't think Sevchenko was ever in real danger. No disrespect to Maya. I just thought, you know, it's round two of, of five. Unless you get that submission or the, or the knockout, you know, let's see if it comes back to haunt you. Correct. Yeah. And, and people forget being on the ground like that, even though it's, it's a rarity for Shevchenko at 125, she went rounds with the greatest women's fighter of all time. And I'm talking full rounds, went to decision in Amanda Nunez. So her being on the ground on her back like that, it might be, it look, might look scary, might look like she's being dominated. As you saw, she's not letting that happen a second time. That happened once, that was it. She made the adjustment, came in the third round. She wasn't going back to the ground. She was, she was done with that. She was like, ah, that was fun. I'm not going back on my back again, though. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like, and that's what happened. That's how, that's how good and how calculated Valentina is. And, and it's, a, it's a real shame. I actually, I'm one of the people, I heard last week Val, Valentina being interviewed by our guy, Ariel. He, he asked her a question that I liked that he asked was how do you feel about not being the headliner of this card, being that you are the more dominant fighter, you've, you've already defended your belt multiple times, yada, yada, yada. And to Valentina's credit, she didn't have a problem with it. And she was like, it's okay, I fight who, whoever, whenever, and you know that's, a, that's what you want in a fighter, whoever, whenever. But I do, there is something to that, and I know it might be just the stigma of fighting. I don't know what it is. It might be Dana's a little bit of the – old time Dana where he's like, nah, women won't be in, in UFC at all. And it's still coming back to bite him in his ass that he ever said that. Um, but it definitely is. That is, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems completely ridiculous, but I do agree. I, I wish Valentina was the headline on this card, but that's again, peek behind the curtain. That's because I love Valentina Shevchenko. Well, I mean, if well, it's, I was actually saying to one of my friends, uh, Sam, I was saying to Sam, she came over, to watch the fights with us. And she's more boxing than MMA. So, you know, I was having those conversations you have with the casual fan that watches MMA. And I straight up said to her, out of all the sports, women's MMA is the most equal to the men's side. Like, as far as fans go, for the most part, the guys that will spend money on the men's fight will spend money on the women's fight. 100%. Like, I I don't see this bias, especially in a sport that kind of filled with the toxic machismo bullshit. Women get the shine. If you you can fight, you can fight. You could be the main event. I don't think the numbers would be any different if the co-main and main was switched. I think it would have been better off just because of how it turned out. You know, you have a full five-round championship title fight compared to a one-round, you're in and you're out and you're done. Right, but exactly. And the power of the UFC, you're not, I t- as I said to Sam, you're not buying the main event. You're buying the whole card. Correct. I agree with you. Yep, that's exactly it. And, and you know what? To, to the credit of that, even like you said, I don't think the buys would have been switched. I think personally, this was going to be a hardcore pay-per-view buy anyway. Not too many casuals buying this. And the casuals that were buying this card, in my opinion, were buying it for Valentina, not for Figueredo, right? 
I mean, you have to, yeah. Just by like if they, what you just said, exactly, man. I know people don't usually like to hear people agree, but it is what it is. Like I don't, I don't see the person that just knows UFC and barely only knows John Jones and maybe Habib and maybe McGregor, and those are the three names they know getting this card. So if you bought this card, you were buying it for the card, especially the two main events. But Shevchenko was definitely the draw. But yeah. it has to be Dana, a little bit of the old school, a little bit of the kind of like what I liken it to, not necessarily the women's men's aspect, but it's, it's men's and women's in the sense of if it was the flyweight title and the heavyweight title tonight, the heavyweight title would be uh, ahead of the flyweight just because of, you know, tradition. But that makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it, in my eyes, that makes perfect sense. When we're talking about the same weight class, I don't see why it would be a problem. You're literally talking about the same weight class. You're talking about a woman who a woman who weighs just as much as the guys that are fighting as well. You know what I mean? Hey, me and you, you know, our MVP of the night is Shevchenko. She's still, and we got an end still in both the title fights. So next week on you on ESPN is Curtis Razor Blades versus Derek Lewis. Yes. Real quick, who do you got? Oh, that's a tough one, man. That is a tough one. Um, Curtis Blades has been killing it, been been coming up real strong, but I think we're going with Derek Lewis, man. I, the way he is after fights, the the personality that he is, I mean, that the whole joke, I don't know if you remember, but like when he was going to fight DC, that whole joke of, you know, I don't like DC. He's like, why don't you like DC? Oh, Papa. He he disrespected Papa. I was like, he's he's a good, fun fighter and i like Derek lewis so i'm gonna go with Derek lewis it's someone's getting knocked out let me just say that between curtis blades and Derek lewis somebody's getting knocked out i'm assuming so so i'm gonna go with Derek lewis tko don't know what round but i'm definitely gonna go Derek lewis tko that's cool because i completely disagree and i'm going with curtis blade <laughs> and and i'll give a round i'm gonna say round two by submission Really? Yeah, because Curtis Blades is a wrestler. Curtis Blades is underrated as far as fighters in the UFC. Like, if he was anywhere else, he would be one of Bellator's big names or one of One's big names. He'd be wherever he was fighting, they'd be pushing him. But because he's in such a stacked heavyweight slash light heavyweight era that we are in now, he's had a couple of losses that kind of derailed his hype trade. But he is a very very good fighter, a very efficient wrestler. And as we saw with the DC fight, Derek Lewis did not win that. So if he doesn't score the knockdown, I think he's going to get tired and I think he's going to slip up and I think he's going to get choked out or submitted. Yeah, I, I can definitely go with you there. You know, he, the only loss he had recently was in 18 and that was to Francis Ngannou, who we also know is, you know, top of the food chain when it comes to the heavyweight division. So you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all in there. And then before that, it was Francis Ngannou again. I mean, there was the one that was changed from uh, a win, I think, to no contest. Wow, I sound crazy right now. But Yeah, I have it up in front of me. And it's against Adam uh, Milstead. Yeah, Adam Milstead. It was 14-2-1, technically. Yeah, and the only two losses, like I said – Francis Ngannou. So against, against arguably the second best heavyweight in the division. Correct. And he beat a guy in, and again, we're going to be doing MMA math here, but he beat a guy in JDS and Junior Dos Santos who beat Derek Lewis. So unless Derek Lewis has gotten much better 
at the ground game, much better at striking and isn't just going out there and looking for the one-time knockout kind of thing. You, you might be right. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping with the evolution that we're seeing with Derek Lewis because he's getting more in shape, he's looking better each time he comes out, I'm hoping he's just keeps – progressing the way he is and that's that's what i'm kind of hedging my bet on curtis yeah. blades is 29 years old he has the ground game instead of standing up to bang to fall back on and i think if he wins this as heavyweights because heavyweights in the ufc seem to be in their prime air quotes between 30 and 35 yeah because you get the 35 to 40 year old champs in the heavyweight division that are still competing for the title so I think we're just about to see the best of Curtis Blades, but we will see you next week. But now, and, and we're going to get into our pound for pounds before we close out the pod, previewing the Roy Jones Jr. versus Mike Tyson fight. Woo! <laughs> but last week I brought this up, the best pound for pound MMA fighters in the world that are outside the UFC. Now, disclaimer. Both of us, the Dope Blog endorses that the UFC is without a doubt the best fighting promotion on the planet when it comes to MMA. If we're making it's the a, NFL, the NBA, it's 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 the best is there, yeah. The best, yeah. <laughs> like if we're gonna do a, a, a pound for pound in the sport, eighty percent of every pound for pound, men's, women's, by weight class, will include at least eight UFC fighters. So that, that's just an average. I'm just off the top of my head no matter what your criteria is. So I just wanted to remove the UFC part of this. So maybe we can narrow down 10 fighters that are worth your time, worth your watching, no matter if they're a title holder or not, yada, yada, yada. And I think me and you will have, or just agree on who the number one pound for pound fighter in the world outside of UFC is. And that would be Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse, the bantamweight slash fly, flyweight, we, I say we, like me and you fucking have any type of ownership. We, <laughs> the UFC, traded away for Ben Funky Askren, and that seemed to work out for the UFC because they were, like you you know alluded to earlier, they were trying to get rid of the flyweight division. He lost his fight to Cejudo, and then he just got traded, and he's been over in one fighting championship. And if you don't know uh, what 1FC is, check that shit out. It is definitely a MMA fan, super fan, super nerd, however you classify yourself, dream. They got MMA, kickboxing, boxing. They got all the weight classes. As I was doing this research, I realized they had a heavyweight division that Brandon Vera is the heavyweight champion. I thought this was more of like a WEC promotion until I saw that because all I've seen was these lighter dudes. But I think Demetrius Johnson is without a doubt because he's currently on pound-for-pound rankings across the web, across the press, and the MMA media. But I think he is without a doubt the best fighter in the world that is not signed by the ufc what say you without a doubt without a doubt dj is the best pound for pound fighter and and like like you kind of alluded to tops out the rankings himself with with the ufc so everyone knows i mean not everyone but if you don't know you 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 better figure it out because dj is Top of the line, cream of the crop. He's always been that way, and I think for a long time he will be. He's been killing the game over at one, like you said. And to to allude back to the trade that he had. Bullshit trade. Bullshit trade. 
kind of did work out for the UFC. Not in the way they thought with Funky Brent Askren doing something, but with Funky Brent Askren getting his knee, uh, his head caved in by a kneecap of one Jorge Masvidal. You're right. So, they ironically did get an all-time highlight out of Ben Askren, just not the way <laughs> they invested that money. Just not the one they invested the money and lost the guy over. But, hey, Jorge Masvidal becomes a superstar, so I'm all right with it. <laughs> and but, it's um, weird yeah, because one. Demetrius Johnson has one of these highlights that I think is an all-time UFC highlight. Wasn't he the one – that threw a guy up in the air and as he was slamming him, got him in an arm bar. Yeah. F- yeah. Did the flying arm bar. So that's yeah, he talked- that's, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a real sentence that just came out of your mind. Like you're at, like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. That, that did happen. Flying arm bar. Um, was insane. Uh, yeah. One of the best highlights you could ever see, especially coming from one of the, cause it's not like it was just a standard arm bar. If you go back and rewatch that, I, I can't remember exactly who it was against. It was such a highlight that you didn't expect him because he, like I said, not just got the armbar, literally tossed the guy in the air. And as he's coming down, he's throwing one leg, o- one leg over the body, one leg over the, over the uh, upper chest, neck area, and just started pulling back that arm as he's hitting the ground. Once he hit the ground, it was already over. So it was – it was uh, – And DJ has like the third most, I want to say, or the second most title defenses. At like eleven, I think so. He's one for the for the UFC. Yeah, he he's he's in he's in the top three for title defenses. Yeah. Oh, he's he's still the king at the UFC, and he's been gone for two years. Yeah. Oh, so he has the record. He actually has the record. I'm pretty sure he has. Well, John Jones, technically, right? Well, at the time in 2017, he broke the record for the most consecutive title defenses with eleven. Oh, consecutive. Yeah, technically, Johns wouldn't be consecutive, I guess, because he lost the belt, regained yeah, the belt. Yeah, they're not the consecutive belt. title defenses. Yeah. So, be, so, yeah, that's how great we're talking Demetrius Johnson is. But, like, I, as we tease this one, me and you are going to do a whole breakdown of the trade. So we will nerd about Demetrius Johnson for a lot longer in the near future. At number two for the non-UFC pound-for-pound rankings, I put uh, Pitbull – Fabricio Pitbull from Bellator, the lightweight and featherweight champion over a Bellator champ champ. El, DJ's record, just for because I wanted to say that, was thir- it is 34-3-1. And, one. and yeah. Pitbull, Fabricio, the, t- the champ champ over in Bellator, is 34-4. and four, And he's another one. He's the only other one that's not UFC that seems to be breaking into these pound-for-pound pound rankings across the MMA world. And rightfully so. He's a champ champ. Lightweight and featherweight, that's not, that's not easy in this day and age in those divisions, and he's kind of killing it over in Bellator. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. That's probably the number two rank again. Just had a recent fight, uh, was hold, held belts in two weight classes. So, you know, uh, Pitbull, he, he's so good, and if you haven't seen any of his fights in Bellator, he's been a Bellator product for a while now. If you haven't seen any of those fights, go back and watch him. I mean, he is just outstanding when it comes to MMA and just two it's weeks really fun to watch. The knockout win we talked about. Yes. It's really good. Sorry to, sorry to cut you off. I mean, the only fight he lost in four years was against uh, Hendo was Benson Henderson. And that was in 2016. So. Oh my God. It is that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Benson Henderson still fighting in Bellator. Yeah. By the way, FYI. <laughs> he just fought last week. He was on the undercard last week. 
So yeah, another one that I'm like, listen, man, if you got to get your money, you got to get your money. I understand it, but please. <laughs> he, he's in good shape though. We ain't hating. He's not on the. He, oh, dude, down. he looks in great shape. Great shape. He ain't on this list though. At number three, I switched. <laughs> I had someone else at number. I switched three and four. And okay, what was your three? I have Chris Cyborg, twenty-three and two, reigning women's featherweight champion over at Bellator. Only left the UFC because of beef with Dana White, and she knows she can't beat the Lioness, which means she still is one of the greatest women fighters on the planet. And there's no shame in not in losing. I mean, there's no shame in losing to Amanda Nunes. So I don't think it, I, I had her a little bit lower on this list, and I thought about it, and I'm like, how many women can really beat Cyborg right now? On the planet, not yeah, one, one, yeah. literally one. <laughs> yeah. Like so, I'm with you there. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't take it away from her. It, it would be hard to convince. I mean, it, since we're doing out of the UFC, 100. Once we add the UFC back in there, it's like eh, she's still pretty up there. I mean, she was dominant. They made that 145 uh, division in the UFC for Cyborg. They just didn't plan on Amanda Nunez saying, "Yeah, hold my beer real quick. This is mine." So, shit. I, I, oh, I can go with you real there. quick, I, for, I forgot to add this while we were talking about Shevchenko. She's fourth for most wins in women's UFC history. It's Amanda Nunes at 13, Jessica Andrade at 12, Joanna Jurjacek at 10, and now Valentina Shevchenko at nine. At nine, yep. And she's definitely going to pass that because she's got to keep fighting, man. She's yes, got to clean that division out. But, and, uh, but back to uh, Cyborg, just side note, because I totally forgot to say that earlier. But uh, Cyborg's last loss was to Amanda Nunes, and before that, it was literally her first fight in MMA. She lost. Yeah, she never. She, two. Remember that that fight with Amanda Nunes was a fight no one, not no one. Some some fans were like, "Oh no, Amanda got this." A lot of people were like, "Oh well, let's see Cyborg destroy this young lady." Oh my and, god! A lot of people no. thought Cyborg was going to win that. People like to have uh, fake memories where they don't like to admit when they thought a fighter was going to win and they lost. Yep. Uh, I thought Nunes was going to win the Cyborg fight. I didn't think it was going to be that dominant. No, I did not see it being that dominant. I thought it was going to be a bang-out fight. Amanda was or at a more natural weight for her. She would feel more comfortable, have more energy. I didn't see her having that much strength, that much energy, and just beat the shit out of Cyborg. I mean. And then two years later – a little bit under two years later, she's fighting, um, Cyborg's fighting in Bellator, defending the Bellator's Women World Championship. Her first title defense was just a couple weeks ago yep. at uh, uh, Bellator 249. She won a submission of rear naked choke victory in the second round. So yep. she's still killing it. She's about 35 years old, so she's not old. She's getting up there, but she's not old yet. She still has at least five more years if she stays in good health. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely put her up there. Number three, probably mixed pound for pound for sure. She she's up there. She's, I mean, like I said, there's only one woman so far on the planet that's had her number and her name was Amanda Nunez, who is the goat at women's divisions. So. All right. At number four now, this is, this is one that I'm interested to get your take on because I feel like he deserves more props. So this pound for pound list, is more subjective than other pound for pound lists because we're really doing fight math when it's like outside the UFC and we're not taking that into account or we're overvaluing UFC. So former UFC fighters would be higher up 
So it's a weird fight math. But I yeah. got Douglas the Phenom Lima, the welterweight champ, the Bellator welterweight champ, 32-8 and eight at number four of the pound for pound. He just lost to Gegar Mousasi, but that was a middleweight bout. Correct. Not a welterweight bout. He was moving up to fight for the middleweight title. And yep. how are you going to have him with that loss? It's a different, it's a different beast when you move up to fight. I, I agree with you there uh, with that aspect of it where I actually kind of disagree. And uh, when we were kind of putting these, the, this pound for pound together um, is uh, personally, I would actually have that, have Gagar right there coming in at that number four spot. Um, I just got Gagar at seven as a spoiler, not really because he is on my list. He is on my list, and rightfully so, but I'm not against switching them. But go ahead. But, yeah, no, but Lima makes sense for, for what, what we've been discussing. Um, Lima makes sense. L- like I said, I have more of the, uh, more of the aspect of what you've uh, – the aforementioned previous UFC fighters. That's why he kind of tops out a little bit above Lima for me, especially with the loss. But it, it's, it's part of, like we, we always say, what have you done for me lately? And um, that's kind of why at this current moment for myself, I'll pop Musasi up there. But I agree with you 100%. We can put Lima in there at four because he has been dominant, especially at his weight class. It's not like he lost his belt that he had. He went up to fight for another belt. So you can't get mad at the guy who's trying to become a champ champ in Bellator. You know? And most of his losses are in title defenses. Like Correct. You, like his only – loss all of his losses in recent memory in bellator is losing the bellator welterweight championship and it, and obviously he loses it and gets it back a couple fights later after another string of wins yeah well that's exactly what happened he he avenged all the losses that he he previously had except for the one like we've mentioned ben Askren. that doesn't count for him it was too long ago that was all the way back in 2012 you know that that's a, that's a damn long time ago to try and avenge the loss of a guy who's retired but he avenged Kreshnikov's loss, right? That was in 15. He lost. He avenged that in 16. He lost to Rory McDonald in 18. Avenged that loss in 19. So I get has, where has a said. stunning knockout victory against Michael Page. Yep. So, yep. yeah. And segue, Michael Page is my fifth on the pound for pound. Like Michael Venom Page, we talked about him about a month ago on here. We have a whole pod, Bellator's MVP. Michael Venom Page is 18 and 1, another welterweight. He would be arguably the champion right now if the current champ, you know, the one we just talked about, Lima, didn't knock him out. Because as we discussed on the on the Venom Page episode, he got cocky. He thought he was Roy Jones Jr. He thought he was Spider Silva, and his chin got tapped. Yep. That's exactly it. And that's the yep. one on his 18 and 1. But as far as pound for pound talents across the sport. Michael Venom Page is one of the most memeable, viral, popular fighters that isn't in the NFL, isn't in the UFC, <laughs> period. Period. Uh, yep, yeah. I mean, MVP is, is a showman if there ever was one in MMA. I mean, from the walkout to what he posts on Instagram, it's just all fun. He's always having a good time. Lighthearted um, too. It's, it, none of it's venomous. It seems like it, none of it. No. At, least, at least that I've seen, it seems like it's not in in you know good hearted fun or the good hearted nature of the sport. Because a lot right. of fighters 
have that killer mentality. Like they really talk like they don't care if you live or die. And other ones are talking like it's a sport. Like, hey, man, we're going to go out there and punch each other in the face. But it's it's just, you know, business out there. So And I respect that because that's – Oh, sorry. I, I, I respect that though. Cause that's exactly what that is. You know, for me, I've always looked at the sport as I've always looked at the sport as it being a sport and for MVP to be the way he is, even though he's that showman, like you said, he got caught, he got caught in, in such a way that was unbecoming of MVP. It wasn't really the way fans of him wanted him to go out because, you know, it wasn't really like he did anything wrong. He, he did. He got up without, keeping himself protected at all times. But at the same time, I mean, that's, that's a way where you can go, all right, well, at least they can fight again and we can see if he can avenge that loss, right? It's not like he got dominated. No, that's he definitely didn't get dominated. He just got caught. And that's the weird part, right, is that me and you might differ on how to gauge pound for pounds because you, you, you straight up acknowledge, I think it's a recency bias thing. It's what have you done for me lately. I can't put that much stock on what you did three years ago, which is fine. I'm of, of the ilk, too, where it's like, I don't necessarily rate you having your record as the end-all, be-all, because 20-0 and 0 might look impressive, depending on who 19 of those 20 are, right? But some of these dudes in this sport of MMA have a record like 40 and 11. Yeah. And, and so, oh, well, he has 11 losses. How good can he be? Well, he's been fighting for two decades. So if he has six of those losses in the first seven years of his career and he has 13 years after that, what's, what's really been his record for over 10 years? You know what I mean? So Correct. It's, it's, I mean, that's, that's Douglas Lehman in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are, like, like, MVP kind of falls under that. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have the resume that some other people, like a Gregor Musasi I got at seven has, who's 47 and seven. Yep. But, but he has that... that, that intangible that that you need to get on these lists the next person on, on on the list at number six alima lay mcfarlane out of all the names i can't say on this pod right alima lay mcfarlane right shit flyweight bellator champion on a four uh title fight defense winning streak i i can't not put that on here i didn't i'm not a big fan of hers as far as i've seen all these fights i'm looking at it analytically i'm seeing that she's beating everybody she has in front of her 11 and 0 is a young record but guess what this is prize fighting she has the prize and she's defended it four times yeah yeah i i agree with you there um alima Lay has looked really good um still young like you said so there's a lot to come 11 fights i mean that's barely scratching the surface with some fighters depending who it is like you just said it could be 11 fighters against the greatest killers of all time that makes you a way different fighter than 11 fights against i don't know a bunch of dudes that are just gatekeepers you know mm-hmm. so but yeah to, to give it to her I, I, I agree with you there that's why we have a ranking in at uh that was six correct yeah such an american name too oh my god it's right hawaiian first name irish last name right exactly seriously <laughs> like, um so yeah who we got ranking in at number seven Great. Your, your boy, uh, Gegard Musasi, 47-7, and seven, middleweight champ over at Bellator. We kind of touched on him a little bit before because you said I would probably put Musasi here, which is exactly the battle I was doing in my own head. Uh, he beat Lima this uh, just a couple weeks ago, about a month ago. He beat Leota Machida, one of my favorite fighters ever, 
uh, before that in September of 2019. His, he yep. lost to Rafael Lovato Jr. by a majority decision at Bellator 223 in June of 2019. His last loss before that was in September of 2015 in the UFC against Uriah Hall. So we all know is a monster. pretty dominant. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And we all know Uriah Hall's a monster. I mean, absolute monster. And and, and to t- kind of even add on top of that, don't forget Gegard beat Tiago Santos, a, a, who was a young Tiago Santos, but coming up in the ranks. And you know that was a that was a great fight. You also beat um, Uriah Hall uh, in twenty sixteen. And right, and then rematch Uriah Hall beats Uriah Hall beat an older Chris Weidman, which, okay, we get it. And <laughs> Vitor Belford, an unjuiced Vitor Belford, even the, you know, take it as you wish. Vitor's Vitor, no matter what. I don't give a damn. <laughs> no, no, it's not like one of your favorite. PDs and all, bro. PDs and all. <laughs> let, let him be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he's a real fighter, man. And, and so you got to have him somewhere in that top 10. Um, I, you know, we have him ranking in at seven here which is kind of perfect and, you know, can definitely move back up those ranks depending on what happens. I mean, he is a now, I guess, a champion technically, correct? Yeah, he's a middleweight champ. He yeah, he's he beat, a middleweight he champion beat after the in the Bellator middleweight Grand Prix. Lima yeah, the vac- the- yeah, that vacant title from, uh, from Rafael Lovato. Yeah. And he's middleweight. He was light heavyweight from 09 to 2013, but he's, he's been a middleweight since 2014. Yeah, some big boys at light heavyweight, man. <laughs> and, he's, and he's 35 years old, like what we've been saying. He, that's old, but that's not done in MMA. So he, if he keeps winning, I'm sure he's going to keep taking those paychecks as a champion. Correct. Yep, I'm with you there. And next, like I, I, I feel kind of proud of my list right now. I have featherweight number one contender, A.J. McKee, 17-0 Bellator prospect. He is the guy last week, that had that beautiful, beautiful submission in the first round of UFC 253 against Darian Caldwell. And, and to show, not show how not biased I am, Caldwell's from Jersey, and usually that is my bias in, in, in fights. And he, AJ got a neck crank on him in like um, the first minute of the first round, caught him slipping, and Caldwell tried to get up, said nope, and tapped. Over. Now AJ McKee is going to fight Pitbull for the featherweight title uh, at some point in the future in the finals of the Bellator featherweight Grand Prix. And at 17 and 0, and the world, the MMA world putting Pitbull on the pedestal he is, Bellator has a chance to have an 18 and 0 featherweight champion superstar on their hands. Yeah. 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 He has a, um, they have a big chance with this guy, especially if he gets another win under his belt, 18 and 0. I mean, just straight up monster, just straight up monster has been winning by a lot of submissions. I mean, a lot. I think he's even in his pro wins with submissions and knockouts. Yo, listen to this 17 wins, right? Zero losses, six by knockout, six by submission, five by decision. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, monster. That's that, like, where do you even, what's his weakness? Right, exactly. And he looks so good out there all the time. Um, young guy, like you said, 25 years old, man. He has plenty of time. That's, That's what he's doing right now at 25. And I know, I know, I know uh, regular sports fans, 25 is kind of when you're hitting your prime. If you're like, especially if you're 
main sports are basketball or football. But in fighting, some people don't even get started until they're 25. Mm-hmm. This dude got 17 wins. And in Bellator, he has the most consecutive victories in Bellator history, except with his current run. He has the most submission wins in Bellator featherweight history. He has the most stoppage victories in Bellator featherweight like division history with 12. And he's tied with Aaron Pico for the second most knockout victories in the Bellator featherweight division with six. Yep. And Aaron Pico, a monster, by the way. Just side note. <laughs> Bro. Just side note. So, but hey, I mean, your guy, like you said, he fought, uh, AJ McKee just fought, had that amazing neck crank that he, that he pulled off uh, previously. So, you know, I have no complaints at, at having him uh, in the rankings there at, at eight, correct? We have him listed at eight. We have him at eight. Perfect. And at nine, because 10, I have, I have a three honorable mentions that could have been interchangeable with nine and or 10, depending on how you feel, right? But mm-hmm. at nine is the one that I did the research for to try to find the dude that has the record that is outside the UFC, that if he was coming into the UFC, you know Dana would throw all the coal in the hype train behind him and make everybody in ESPN excited with his highlights. And that is a middleweight with a record of 29-3 and three by the name of Anatoly Tokov. Anatoly Tokov? Okay. This dude hasn't lost since 2016. And since then, it's just chokes, grounded pounds, <laughs> elbows. Like, I was looking through his wins, and there's a bunch of wins. A, a couple, you know, Tapology is a great site. A couple canceled bouts, but, that, you know, what are you going to do about there? But his last back-to-back losses was when he was still in single-digit fights back in right. 2012. So with three losses on there, he had back-to-back losses damn near eight, nine years ago. And since then, he's just been killing it in the Bellator middleweight division. And like we say often, welterweight and middleweight, lightweight to welterweight, lightweight to middleweight is a killer's row of talent. He's on a five-fight uh, winning streak. I, it's hard for me. Like, if this dude was coming in the UFC today, there'd be a hype train attached to him. Right. No, 100% will be. 100% will be. Um, I think – Only 30 uh, years old, too. Only 30. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's 30, 31. It's 30. He, yeah, he, uh, Fightology, yeah, he's going to be turning 31 in February. Okay, yeah. So, you know, definitely a guy um, that Bellator has probably slid all their chips behind. Been a very dominant fighter. Yeah. So, for the five fights he's had at Bellator, it, he's been, I mean, just absolutely dominant. I think it's, it's mostly been by um, – by decision, not by decision, by uh, either knockout or submission. Like he's finished the fight over at Bellator every time, I believe. Um, so he's just been a dominant guy. That's a fun one to add on for the pound for pound for sure. Um, that's one that you can kind of say, hey, if this guy keeps doing what he's doing, you're right. Uh, if he ever came over to the UFC, Dana's gonna be like, dude, we need some of those. <laughs> Some of those highlights, man, you have some unbelievable highlights and you can keep it going. So I'll give that one to you for sure. That's a good one. That's for topping out at nine? That's nine, yeah. All right. Yeah, and, and he's. And I, I saw – I went through all the Bellator fighters because, in my opinion, it goes UFC, Bellator, then one. And one has a lot to look through, 
but I'd be lying if I said I knew the talent in one that some of these guys are beating. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of value that a little bit less, but hey, I gave one the number one pound for pound fighter in the world that's not in the UFC. So that's right. W. At 10, I have a veteran. He's a heavyweight. He's 8-1-1 one one since 2015. He's 30 and 11 for his career. Check Congo. No, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> All right. I did this because besides the last fight, which goes against your doctrine of what have you done for me lately, he, he lost his last fight. But before that, as I just said, 8-1-1. One one. So right. he, not, he, was, he was essentially 8-0 you know, since the last five years in Bellator dominating in the heavyweight division. I just can't take that for, that one loss because I think Czech Congo can compete in the UFC heavyweight division right now. So right. Okay. I put him on here just from the sheer talent I know he is. Right. Okay. I can I can give my you honorable mentions because I know you're not a big Czech Congo fan. I'm not a huge Czech Congo fan, especially like you said with the to the it's the what have you done for me lately but i'm gonna be a hypocrite in that and say i would replace him probably with ryan bader honestly and you don't even like ryan bader more than i don't even like ryan bader right so it's like what the fuck you know so okay so when he fought ryan bader i didn't see this fight so i don't want to comment on shit i read about but it was bellator 226 in september 2019 and it was a no contest because of an accidental eye poke and ryan bader the heavyweight champion before that, the loss he has is in Bellator Paris from last month, October 10th of last month, against yes. Johnson. He lost in a split decision. So he wasn't dominated either. So with that being said, the, all the fights before that, unanimous decision, KO, KO, split decision, unanimous decision, majority decision. You know, like he was winning. He was on a consistent winning streak. So that's why I, that's why I put Chicago, and I was a fan of him in his original run in UFC too. So I'm sure that has to play into it. I'm not going to just sit up here in front on you. But (laughs) honorable mentions, uh, Brandon Vera, who's been the one heavyweight champion, it seems like for years now. I just haven't, I didn't, like I said at the beginning, wasn't even, I was shocked I didn't even have that division. But I don't want to just completely shit on veterans that are holding titles in legitimate promotions. Correct. Yeah. I got Sergio Pettis, who's 20 and five, who's in Bellator now. Monster, yeah, was what you know, famed brother of Anthony. Uh, so shit. I mean, when he moved over to when he moved over to Bellator, I was actually scared Anthony was going to go over there too, man. Um, they're both dominant, uh, both killers. He definitely deserves to be pretty high up there. Uh, so being an honorable mention, that's that's definitely a good one for for Sergio. And then obviously Eddie Alvarez. I'm fucking kidding. I'm not I mean, yeah, Eddie yeah. Alvarez. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, listen, listen, I get it. We And people could, you know, some people might be like, hey, why isn't he hired? Listen. Because he lost his, his one debut. That's why. You want to know? That, that thank you. Thank you. Like, like yeah. Eddie like, Alvarez should be what Demetrius Johnson is in his weight classes over in one. Eddie Alvarez, and this is coming from an Eddie Alvarez fan, should, be, should have dominated his one debut. It seems like since he took that L to Connor, He's been missing something. And I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's if it's just that part part of his career where he's been figured out. I, right. It annoys me. I can't put him on this list, and it hurts me too because he's currently at thirty and seven, and three of those seven, three 
of those seven have been in the last four years. And, and, and you're like, oh, well, you're, you're, you're ranking all these other people that high in the last four or five years. Yes, since 2014, he's lost to Donald Cerrone at UFC 178. He is five and three with one no contest. Yep. That is not special. That, like, like, it's not. It is yeah. one debut. His it, like, the, like the, what was supposed to be big for the promotion because it was in Tokyo. It was his return to one seventy. He loses to Timofey. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name at one championship new era. And that new era was a new era because it one championship kind of proved they have some fucking talent in their on their roster to where a former lightweight champion can't just show up and wreck house. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that shows you that they're, they're growing, you know, it shows you that they're growing and, 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 and that's Nasty Ukin, by the way. Thank but, you. Yeah, uh, no, I, I know I've heard it before, but I was gonna like, you know, what's fucked up would have said it like that, but I was just like, I have no faith in myself. <laughs> it's no, it's literally how it's spelled, <laughs> which, is the, which is the one of the only ones, but yeah, it's Nasty Ukin. Um, <laughs> I remember when this happened, it was only last year, almost two years ago now. But, like, I remember it being hyped. I, I remember arguing with my boy Levi about, oh, man, you're, you're hating on McGregor, saying Eddie Alvarez don't count as a big win. And as time is going on, I'm going to have to apologize to Levi because since Eddie Alvarez was the champ, he's been like, yo, that dude isn't all that. And unless Eddie has a turnaround in his career, it's going to seem like, bro, you weren't all that. Right. Well, Even though he does have a win. He has hold on now. Hold on now. Rafael Dos and Justin Gaethje. I was about to say. I was about to say. Hold on now. But that's the weird part of this dude's <laughs> career. How are you beating these dudes and losing to these other dudes? It's got to be something. This is we're we're gonna get a little off topic, but that's fine. That's what we do here. <laughs> Staying on brand. Yeah. Exactly. Um. I don't. I don't know, man. I I think it's got to be something. Not the it's not the talent. It's not the talent like that he doesn't have. He's not lacking in talent. I don't know if it's a thing where he sees a name across from him and it gets to him mentally. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But it, it's always it's always against guys he shouldn't be losing to. Well, well that's what that's what that's the weird part. Because like, besides those wins I just rattled off. Yeah, nasty you can okay, he shouldn't be losing to that guy, but we're also disrespecting him because we don't know enough about him to actually say that, especially at the 170 division. We're talking oh, well, about... No, yeah, Nasty Ukin's dirty. Comes out, he, he fights with Tiger Muay Thai as well. That's the same as Shevchenko. Um, that's the same as, I think, Figueredo fights out of there too. And yeah. Alvarez lost to Dustin Poirier. He's, he Studio lost to Conor McGregor. Yeah. So, like, it, it's not like these losses outside of this one, literally one FC loss, because he won his next one FC fight in um, August 2019. So he's one and one in, in, in like, the, the one run. So he's not the worst. I'm just disappointed that I couldn't put him on this list, like, in all honesty. Other yeah. Things, like, Leota Machida is kind of in the Anderson Silva part of his career, where I would be lying if I told you like these guys were on this list. I'm just giving you the names that you know, so you feel good, like you know the sport. Like these guys aren't in the top ten pound for pound outside the UFC anymore. They're just household names, like 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 Emilianenko. 
Like, he could be on this list, and no one would argue with me. Do I think he's one of the top ten best heavyweights right now? Hell no. Right. Exactly. And I can't remember if, I, if I'm if i mixing up uh, guillotines before, because I got 255 in the background as we're recording, and, and, you know, the flyweight just retained it. When Perez goes to get up and then taps, it looks so painful. It looks so painful. I just wanted to say that to you, because, like... Oh, with... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, with with um, with Davidson Figueredo, you're saying yeah, he man, tries to get up out of it, and he thinks his head was slipping out. Going to get up, it's, it's yeah. Like, well, that's what locked it in a little tighter. It looked he. I'm assuming he felt that he was almost out, and his head was almost out. And when he when he stretched himself out to get up, that allowed Figueredo to get tighter on himself and close his body in a little bit and get further up on on the the middle stomach area to lock that in a lot more. And yeah, it looked painful, man. Didn't look, didn't look fun. All right, before we preview this boxing match me and you made back when you were in middle school, um, <laughs> is there anybody I left off this pound-for-pound pound list that you feel like should be added on, or is there, is there a name that comes to mind that you're surprised I didn't say? Um, no, like I said, Ryan Bader's one that I would throw in there. Honorable um, mention? Just for the hell of it. A uh, guy that's 10-0 and 0, uh, being Rafael Lovato doesn't count as much because, again, he had to relinquish his belt, and now he's doing grappling. Oh, so, yeah. The only reason McFarland's on this list is because he's the champ. I was trying to look for nobody that had less than 15 fights. Correct, exactly. And like I said, Rafael's hard because he did become the champion at um, um, middleweight. In, in Bellator, but had to relinquish that belt. It was the one we already talked about multiple times. The guy actually, lo- um, you know, had that loss. Uh, Gegard Musasi had that loss to Rafael. So, you know, that was one I would throw in there, but he's no longer fighting as of right now. So it's tough. And like you said, he's only 10 and 0. So he's not really got too many under his name. Uh, but yeah, that's really, I mean, I could think of others, but off the top of my head, I, we, we were going back and forth trying to get this list together and, and I'm with it. I, I kind of agree with all of it. Like you said, you can kind of throw in those Fedor Milianko's, but it's like, is he really a pound for pound guy? Like what, like in my criteria, looking for pound for pound, even though it's outside of the UFC, I'm looking for guys that I could say, Hey, we can toss into the UFC. Fedor, I'm not tossing back into the UFC. I'm not talking in the UFC. You know what I'm saying? That's why I threw Chuck Congo in at 10 because I, because right now real talk, if he just returned to the UFC and had a fight against Stipe or Francis Ngannou or anybody else that's currently high up in the UFC heavyweight rankings, I'd be there for it. As a fan, I mean, like I'm not going to sit here and lie to you like, oh, he's definitely, you know, Chuck Congo's definitely going to win. But you got right now, you have Stipe as the champ, Francis Ngannou at one, Curtis Blades, you got Derek Lewis, Alistair Overeem. You got all these names. Chuck Congo can compete. So I I, I just, that's why I kind of threw him in there. Are you going to really tell me that a a Sergei Pavlovich or a Andre Arlovsky is that much better than a Chuck Congo? Like, right, exactly, exactly. I'm with you there. I, I get, I, yep, I know exactly what you're saying. And I think so, Corey Anderson left the UFC at a time where it would probably be beneficial for him to stay. He's going to grow in Bellator and might come back and really take over the light heavyweight division, depending on how it is. Because as we've said for the last two, three episodes, with Jan Blachowicz as the light heavyweight champion, 
that division's wide open. It's a bunch of right. wild cards going on in that division when it comes to who's going to hold the, the strap next. And you have a Corey Anderson at 14 and five that the way Bellator is looking, by the time we're talking about him, he could be 20 and five and the Bellator light heavyweight champion. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you don't know. So, so yeah, I, I'll give it, that's basically what we're weighing it off of. Right. So is that ability to go into the UFC, the ability to kind of keep fighting? Cause like I said, you could, we could have, we could have people could be like, Oh, what about Leota Machida? What about, uh, bro, I wish I could put Leota Machida on this list. And, 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 you but you can't, but you can't yeah. like, like Leota Machida is legitimately one of my favorite fighters of all time. His choke out against the cage is one of the nastiest moments I've watched live in a title fight. Yep, but you know what? To, to kind of talk about it, we're talking about all UFC stuff. There's nothing outside of the UFC that these older head guys, you're, we're remember, remembering the UFC times. We're not remembering what they did in Bellator. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, the only pr- people like you can kind of bring up for Bellator in their older age would be like a Chael Sonnen. I think like... Oh, well, yeah. And oh. that's mostly because of his personality more so than the quality of fights he was putting on. Yeah, exactly. And and Chael is, I mean, it wouldn't be, yeah, a pound-for-pound pound great because of fighting, but a pound-for-pound pound personality. I mean, by God, he was off the mic. He was like a pro wrestling guy, man. Like, he would come off out of a fight and... And you knew you were getting a promo cut right from whatever he was saying. Whatever he was about to say, you knew it was going to be a promo. <laughs> like, come and, on, man. And I was about to say Rampage Jackson. Uh, I searched his name really fast. It, uh, Scott Coker confirms. This is from four or five days ago. Scott Coker confirms Rampage Jackson is no longer under Bellator contract. So, exactly. And Rampage. Oh, he's coming over to UFC, isn't he? What? Isn't he coming back over to UFC? Oh my God, dude! No, I don't. I don't. I don't buy it. Maybe he does, but like, why? I'm uh, hold on. I'm just saying, man. Like, Rampage is one of my favorite fighters of all time. I got Pride DVDs just to watch Rampage Jackson fight and slam people in into the mat, and then put on that chain at the end and howl like a wolf. I am a Rampage Jackson fan. And I'm even saying, what the hell would he be coming back to UFC for? This is from Bloody Elbow, good, good uh, SB Nation site, just as a fan. I mean, I don't write for them, never have, so uh, that's free promotion. Scott yeah, this Coker is confirms Rampage Jackson no longer under contract. This is from November 18th. Uh, you know, just so that's about, what, five days ago? Yeah. And I'm, and this is citing MMA Junkie, I mean, Coke, and it's quoting Coker, so... I don't. I think he's done. And Rampage Jackson's record: thirty-eight and fourteen. Yeah, he's been in Bellator since twenty thirteen. That's crazy. Yeah, it's been it's been nuts. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that's and that's our point with Bellator, right? The people that we really would like to put on this list, we need another three, four fights from before we feel comfortable. And the names that you wish were on this list, only because of nostalgia. Like Emilianenko is not a pound for pound fighter in 2020, 2021. Right. We got Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. happening this weekend. And it's weird because fight fans know it's happening. Uh, <laughs> casuals are ignoring it because you have two older gentlemen fighting. Uh, Mike Tyson's pre-fight record, an amazing 50-6 and six with 44 knockouts. And then you got Roy Jones Jr., 66 and 9 with 47 knockouts. Yep. Now, Roy Jones Jr., former middleweight, 
super middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight champion, Iron Mike, just a former undisputed heavyweight champion. I'm saying that with a tinge of sarcasm with the word just before former undisputed heavyweight champion. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a little yeah. better be a little sarcasm. No, there. I'm definitely being sarcastic because, <laughs> because I've heard, I've seen people make the argument because I can just tell they're about 10 years younger than us, right? Because they're like, well, Roy Jones has fights in heavyweight. Yes, he has fights in Russia at heavyweight in the 2010s. This dude was never a competitive heavyweight. And Mike Tyson was only one of the most dominant heavyweights to ever exist. Still to this day. Still to this day. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. (laughs) The the three-year age difference between me and you is strange because those three years make up parts of Tyson's career where that I remember very vividly that you're just like, all I really remember is old Tyson and old Tyson was losing to the likes of Kevin McBride and Danny Williams in 2004 and 2005. That's why I quit because there was no damn reason for him to lose to games such as that. He knocked the hell out of Clifford NTN in uh, February, 2003. I remember being over, my boy Sats's house, and that was my freshman year in high school. We had I had to make sure it was okay. I, I slept over, yada yada yada, because you know how late fights be coming on, and we're I'm just 14 years old. So, and then what happens? 49 seconds into the first round, Mike Tyson sent, sent this dude into a night night. <laughs> look like Mike Tyson. I mean, look like what you expect out of Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? If you take away the McBride and Williams loss, he's 50 and four, which is I, which feels more like his true record because he, he was not him in 2004 and 2005. His heart just wasn't in it, which is why I'm excited for this fight on Saturday. Other big profile losses on Roy on, on Mike Tyson's record is Lennox Lewis. Classic fights that makes perfect sense. Like, I was gonna say, makes perfect sense though, especially with Lennox. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on, they're yeah, Vander they're Holyfield, and then obviously Buster Douglas, which is only known for beating uh, Mike Tyson, and then obviously we got Roy Jones Jr. I can't be touched, can't be stopped. Listen, man, I, these are legit two of my favorite fighters. I can, I'm gonna fan out a little bit talking about both these men. I'm just pulling up. Roy Jones' uh, record now this is how long his damn record is. I'm, I'm gonna okay. When did I stop watching? Because I want to see how many fights he's had. Okay, so around I'm gonna go around Tarver. It feels like around. Tar- I was gonna say I think I stopped watching at Trinidad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was after Tarver. You're right because uh, Felix. You're right. Felix Trinidad was the last fight that I was super, super, super hyped about. Because oh, exactly, that's what I was gonna say. Actually, excited about seeing. Yeah, Tito, me and you, peek behind the curtain, me and Tim grew up in a house that got all the Felix Trinidad fights, like all of them. Literally all, everyone. (laughs) So that was January 2008. Yeah. And wow, I'm sorry, that just fucked me up. (laughs) And and the record then was 52-4. and So remember that, 52-4, and he won against Felix Trinidad in Madison Square Garden, unanimous decision after 12 rounds. And it was a good fight. I, I suggest you go look it up, find it somewhere. The next fight that I remember watching of Roy Jones Jr. was two years later against Bernard Hopkins, and he lost a unanimous decision against Bernard Hopkins. Yeah. After that, I've caught a couple of these fights. So what? that's fight number 61 for Roy Jones Jr. was the last one that, as I'm scrolling through here, I vividly remember watching. For context, 
fights 68 through 75, only two have a Wikipedia. Just for context of the of, in fighting sports, these guys aren't even links. So you can, I, don't, I can't even click on their name and see what their records were, who the hell they were. So kind of after 2010 is when there's a big fall off in the quality of fighter Roy Jones was fighting. And he was fighting in the German cruiserweight division, which is right under heavyweight, fighting for the WBU title and, and defending the WBU title. He won that cruiserweight title. So, and, and as of right now, apparently he's, or he won the vacant WBU cruiserweight title and WBF cruiserweight title. So yeah, he's a cruiserweight champion, but that doesn't mean shit because when he went up to heavyweight, he wasn't really dominant at all. He wasn't that same boxer that we all want him to be, that we think of he is. When, when we think of Roy Jones Jr., we see that dominant super middleweight, middleweight that just was laying into people with his hands down, knocking you out with these jabs. Like, that, that's just not there. I, I, I know he's fought way more recently than Mike Tyson, but Mike Tyson's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, no, he has fought more recently. You can kind of see just by looking at the record on paper for Roy Jones, you could see his he lost his prime in those that 50 to 60 fight range, right? And then that's when he started fighting these guys that you really don't know too much and got a couple more wins on his record, but really those losses back and back towards the end of his prime when he went back from he went all the way up to heavyweight then then quickly turned around to fight Tarver in the light heavyweight bout. And then the second time he fought Tarver lost. After that, it kind of was the fall-off period for Roy, in my eyes, um, which is a very vast difference from Tyson, where Tyson stopped when he was – once he fell out of his prime or he didn't want it anymore. I mean, the Holyfield ones, those are a whole nother conversation, right? But it wasn't like he was getting destroyed after Holyfield. He was winning some fights. And then it was the Lennox Lewis fight, which I think really kind of – changed everything for Tyson. Um, and there was also something I saw, I think it was first take did an interview with both Tyson and Roy Jones. This was a couple months ago, back in the beginning of the pandemic. So it was a very awkward interview because no, nobody was in the same room. But Roy Jones said something along the lines of, they took the fight and the reason they asked them, Roy Jones, like, aren't you scared of fighting him at heavyweight? It's not like heavyweight has been your your main division, yada, yada, yada. And he said, well, I was really going off of the fact that I've been fighting and he hasn't. So when we originally signed, it was for this date. And that gave me X amount of time and him X amount of time. And I thought it'd be better at the camp. Then with all the, you know, the, the, the testing, the athletic commissions stalling it out, he was just like, oh, he's going to have plenty of time now. So he's like, I would, well, I would have rethought the fight and the conditions if I knew – he was going to have more time than I originally thought. I just thought that was a, a funny thing to admit because you're kind of admitting, I just thought I was in better shape and I could finally get my dream match. Correct. Uh, yeah, that was him talking with Rogan, right? It might, it might have been Rogan. It, it was one of the things he was doing, you know, months ago to, to hype up the fight. Right. So I think, yeah, I think that's what it was. Um, and you know what? It, it, Good on him to admit it. I, I I like that he admitted that, but I do see what he's saying. He he was Tyson's been out for so long. It was probably harder for him to turn around. But now that's been pushed back so much, is it really a 
beneficial thing for Roy at this point because now we see Tyson coming out and geez, he looks like a monster. A fucking monster. It looks like old Tyson, man. And, and I was talking with a buddy of mine who's a big boxing fan at work today, and we we're just kind of discussing it's either way on Roy. This is more a fight for Roy Jones Jr. than Tyson. And, and what what I mean by that, and what we were discussing is if Tyson wins, everyone goes, ah, okay, Tyson beat Roy Jones Jr. Okay, yeah, duh. He beat the crap out of him. On Roy Jones Jr.'s side, it's all for him because if he loses to Tyson, there's no skin off his back, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, fucking fought Tyson, of course. Yeah. If he wins, <laughs> it's like, holy shit, Roy Jones beat Mike Tyson. There's no winning aspect for Tyson on the it, with this bout other than people being big fans of him and seeing him come back in a spectacular way and, and kind of relive some of the old memories. Yeah, there's only a three-year difference in their ages, just for everyone knows. There isn't a big discrepancy in their ages. It's really only their activity. Like, Roy Jones has fought way longer than I think anyone wanted him to fight, and that's for his own personal and mental health. It has nothing to do with if he's happy or not. It has everything to do with the amount of literal punches this man has taken to the head. Like, he should have gave it up back in 2010 after the loss to Bernard Hopkins. That would have been a good sword to die on. He hasn't. And to his credit, he has racked up some wins over in Russia and over in Germany. So good. Yep, and he, I mean, he's a huge, he's a huge person in Russia, you know? Yo, so, yo, make your money. Like, Hey, if, if he's, he's still commentating. And, so yeah, and he's, fun. and he's got Roy Jones boxing that shows up on UFC, uh, UFC fight pass. If anyone has it. So, um, so, so yeah, Roy Jones isn't doing this because he's completely hurting professionally both inside and outside the ring. He's doing it for the love of the sport, which as a Roy Jones Jr. fan, good on him. But at 51 years old, he's fighting 54-year-old Mike Tyson. And yes, 2004 is a long time away, uh, way before 2018. So comparatively speaking, there's a 16-year difference in their last professional fight. But even with that, Roy Jones Jr. is an inch taller than Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Natural weight. His natural existing weight is heavyweight. Roy Jones has to bulk up to fight at heavyweight. He's been fighting at cruiserweight. The last, you know, in, since the foreseeable past, in all these matches that don't matter to most American fans, he's been a cruiserweight. So he hasn't even been fighting at heavyweight. I can't stress yeah. enough, he wasn't a dominant heavyweight. And even when Tyson wasn't a dominant heavyweight, he well, technically, he only has the one fight at heavyweight, Roy Jones, right? No, he had fights at heavyweight. Um, it was only two. It was only – it was the – right? It was one It was one fight at heavyweight, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That was the John won, Ruiz fight. And yeah, he, he won the, down. That was his 49th fight in March 2003. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was Yeah, everything else was light heavyweight. I don't even know what the Felix Trinidad fight was – I, I'm, let me f- figure it out because I remember where I was watching this fight. It was a catch weight of 170. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was a catch weight because Trinidad was not fighting at light heavy at that time. Yeah, but no, he was. He go like almost all the fights before that were, was his light heavyweight run. How really? crazy is that? Is that the Tarver fights were before, all three were before Felix Trinidad. Gotcha. So, like, just that, you know, like, the first, the, the Ruiz heavyweight title win was March 1st, 2003. The Felix Trinidad fight that, that we were, you know, we're, we have some fondness for is January 2008. There's a five-year difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. Roy Jones has been fighting. His first professional fight was on May 6th, 1989. 
motherfucker's been fighting for 30 years. Yeah, forever. And I didn't realize that was Trinidad's last fight was Roy Jones. Yeah, yeah, that was the end of an era for for us. Like, like literally, our family got so many of the Tito fights. It's weird that we're saying now, as we're doing a preview for a Roy Jones Jr. fight, and I'm in my 30s. We're previewing a Roy Jones Jr. fight, and I'm in my 30s. Like, yeah, I know it's insane. It's like, insane. like we we give so much shit to some of the MMA guys, and here we are talking about. Like it, 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 like we got used to boxers in their forties because we grew up with a forty-year-old George Foreman with a 40 right exactly Lennox yeah. Lewis, Evander Holyfield, Klitschko, like all these guys. We saw them get a little bit older and they kept fighting and they didn't lose it like that. So we don't have this complete lack of faith in forty-year-olds. But this is different, man. This is like this, this is a fight that was supposed to happen sixteen years ago. Like that—that's what we're talking about. Like we're talking about a fight that should have happened over a decade ago. Oh my God! If if this fight did happen back in two thousand three, two thousand four, and it was that version of Roy Jones Jr. versus that version of Mike Tyson, I'd be saying Roy Jones has a better shot at winning right now. Yeah, a way better shot than now. Not with this revitalized Tyson that we have. No, I don't need. I don't need Tyson that's learned to, to conquer his demons and and be open with his emotions. And it's terrifying, right? That's. <laughs> Like, that's scarier, yeah. That's scarier than the old Tyson that didn't couldn't control anything. <laughs> a, a, a mo- emotional surprise, uh, like the, mo- the t- emotionally toxic Tyson was the one you could defeat. One that actually has a head on his shoulders is way scarier because that was why he was dominant at twenty. He, he had Customato and kept him focused on the sport, and he was passionate. And he's never not been passionate about the sport. The only time he wasn't passionate was in that the run in two thousand four, two thousand five, and he quit. That's what you're supposed to do. It's too dangerous if you don't quit. I got a bad back. My back broke. Spinal. Like that whole thing. <laughs> like, like never should have happened. And yep, I'm with you. As somebody that's watched him my whole life, he's been in, my, in the public eye literally as long as I've been alive. He's a different human being than he was in the 90s. Uh, and he's a different human being than he was 16 years ago. Like, I think this dude where he's at mentally is dangerous. If he's in a good fighting condition, if he goes out there and wrecks Roy Jones Jr., we're we're realistically going to be sitting in a world where Mike Tyson is mulling over an actual comeback. Yeah. 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 And to that credit, if Roy Jones Jr. wins, I think he calls it a career. I really do. He has to. He has to. I, I think that's what he's been fighting for because if you watch a lot of stuff on Roy Jones Jr., you realize how many of his, how much of his showboating and early dominance was just for approval of Roy Jones Sr. that he apparently never got. That he never got, and then he ended up having to having to leave. I, if you haven't seen it, um, you gotta it's see him. Hmm? It's it's just sad. You know what I mean? Like it, to know that like Roy Jones Jr., one of the goats, right? I think he's it's safe to say he's one of the greatest fighters to ever live. Never had the approval of one of the only people he actually cared about getting approval from. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really sad, and, and like I kind of said, uh, was uh, about to allude to. If you haven't, and you're a boxing fan, please go watch him with with uh, Joe Rogan. It is probably one of the most insightful conversations that I've ever seen with Roy. And you know, uh, you know, kind of behind the curtain, he's been one of my favorite fighters of all time, basically because I. We grew up in that Roy Jones era, as we just were talking about. 
So I've said it on a previous podcast. I, I've had, I had his DVD with his rap album overlaying all the highlights he had. Dude, it was, it was great. Um, so if you ever want some real insight, please go back and watch that uh, Joe Rogan episode with Roy Jones. It's, it's, it's some great insight into exactly what you're talking about with the approval that he was trying to seek from his father. It just was, it's, it was really great to see. And if you're a boxing fan, it's one of those things that you just got to watch. So. And anyone wondering, can I do the math on my age where it's like, I'm, I'm saying I was a big Roy Jones fan in the nineties. How could you be a big fan when you were a kid? Answer is because our grandfather used to tape all these fights and keep them. So when I was five years old, and my grandfather's watching me, and he has the Roy Jones Jr. fight on, he can pause it, re-show me something, and we can watch a half-hour fight for 90 minutes because I'm five, six years old, and my grandfather's really into teaching me boxing, which, spoiler, worked because I've always been a really big boxing fan. I'm just saying that because as I'm looking through Roy Jones' career, like, when when did I get into him? Because I remember certain names like James Tony and Bernard Hopkins. The first Bernard Hopkins fight was like 93. James Tony was 94 when he won the Super IBF middleweight title. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, so Pop just had these taped on, on like, one tape, and I watched it, got it. Like, Right, yep. And that's crazy. Like, I, I mean, you really, really did, because you were born into a world where, where he was just one of the champs. Yes. And it really didn't go away, because by the time you were 10 – 11, 12 in middle school, he was still one of the biggest draws in the sport. Yeah, 100%. I mean, by by the time I started getting into it, I remember my first time was the first fought fight. I remember Roy Jones watching that. We probably bought and everyone was over. I'm trying to look back. One that I can actually remember. One that you actually remember would probably be the Tarva fight. It probably was the Tarver fight. Because that was you know what? It had to be because I was, I was like 14. You would. I remember seeing that, and I have a vivid memory. And this is going to be crazy. Can you be like, no way? Listen, for all full disclosure, if anyone knows me who doesn't know me, I was born in '92. I remember watching Trinidad fight um, Golden Boy, fight uh, fucking De La Hoya. Yeah. Right. I remember that vividly. I was in Ohio watching that fight, and that was in '99. So I had to had to see right that was 99 yeah uh, I, i'm assuming it was around then i don't got either of those guys up right now. Uh, yeah i just i just pulled it up so yeah the oscar de la hoya uh, tito trinidad fight was in 99 i remember that vividly so it had to be the tarver fight because that was in 2003 well i mean we could have gotten looking at roy jones jr fights we could have got the julio caesar gonzalez fight we could have got like the glenn kelly fight because these were defenses that this is during like one of his runs where he was still on unstoppable. So yeah, this is when he had the 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 uh, WBC, IBF, IBO, WBF. He, he was like light. He was in the light heavyweight division. Light heavyweight, he yeah. Looked unstoppable. And the the Tarver fights was the parties that got controversial because there was people that didn't really believe he won that first Tarver fight. Yes. Yep, I remember it. Uh, but we, dude, we we've been talking for a minute. Uh, we we got to sign off because we still got uh, plenty of stuff to talk about going forward. And it's holiday week. It's Turkey Day week. Tell tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at uh, Instagram, Twitter at T Owens one one zero five. Yeah, it was a great talk. We got plenty more to go. 
Um, I'm real excited, man. Hopefully we finish out this year strong. Uh, but again, yeah, you can find me at T Owens one, one zero five Instagram, Twitter, the whole thing, man. Yep. And me and you going to talk about this fight next weekend for sure. We're going to keep doing these random, I guess, pound for pound rankings and stuff like that. But me and you definitely should talk about the Ben Askren, Demetrius Johnson trade because it's, it, it's like a year or two later now. We, yeah. It's a, it's a year or two later and it shaped one of the, what? like we said, shaped one of the best fighters that came out of nowhere because he defeated Ben Askren. One FC is in a different position uh, when they did that trade. Yes, yeah, 100%. I mean, they have a dominant champion right now. Yeah. So. so, and you can find us both at the Dope Blog, the underscore Dope Blog on Instagram, at the Dope Blog, all one word on Twitter, and at the Dope Blog and Podcast on Facebook. Get at us. Peace. See you. I'm ill. I'm ill. Average. What the fuck I'm ill? What the fuck I'm ill? What the fuck I'm ill? Bigger than your average. What the fuck I'm ill? What the fuck I'm ill? Bigger than your average.